Did you know that there will be a celebration in heaven? Today on Encounter God's Truth, Dr. John Whitcomb, our Bible teacher, will show us wonderful truths about the marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who will return from heaven in glory. That future day will bring judgment to the earth, but it will mean eternal blessing for all believers who are members of His body and bride. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and I want to welcome you back to this weekly outreach of Whitcomb Ministries, Incorporated. Dr. Whitcomb is going to present a unique lesson on some of the events that will occur when Christ returns at His second coming. And he'll also show us their significance in light of the Lord's future plan for us as Christians. God has prepared significant responsibilities for us, along with indescribable blessings, as we'll see from today's lesson. So please stay tuned now for this message entitled, The Destiny of the Bride of Christ. Dr. Whitcomb begins with some very important comments that set the context for what's to come. Friends, it is absolutely amazing how God anticipates, looks forward to, is anxious for the fulfillment of his purpose for his son Jesus at the wedding feast of the Lamb. The bride is the church. The bridegroom is Christ. Even John the Baptist knew that, even though he knew he was not part of the bride. Listen to what he said about it. John 3, verse 27. You know, his disciples say, well, everybody's going to him. He's baptizing. They're going to him, to Jesus. They were sorry for John. And he said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from, a, from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Now here's the point. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, not John the Baptist, that's Jesus. But the friend of the bridegroom, that's John, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so, John the Baptist concluded, this joy of mine has been made full. Now listen to this, what a statement. He must increase, but I must decrease. And you know, the Apostle Paul looked forward to that wedding, that marriage feast, didn't he? He said to these unworthy Corinthians, he said, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. But you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, that's Christ, of course, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. He is desperate to prepare the church by teaching, preaching, admonishing. Get ready for the marriage. Get ready to meet Christ, the bridegroom. Well, now, what is this event? It's fully explained in Revelation 19. Listen, please, to verse 7. Revelation 19:7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Stop right there. His bride has made herself ready. I thought Christ did all these things. But you see, she participates in the Bema, the judgment throne, by admitting, agreeing with what Jesus says as to whether or not she deserves a reward. Listen to verse 8. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. God is in charge, yes, but we are responsible to participate, to cooperate. Otherwise, there'd be no point in a, in a reward if we didn't, didn't do anything to deserve anything at the Bema. Not that we deserve it, but by the grace of God, we'll receive it according to what? Our degree, our level of faithfulness 
as Christians in the body and bride of Christ. This is a precious statement, isn't it, in Revelation 19. The bride has made herself ready. She has clothed herself in fine linen, bright and clean, the righteous acts of the saints. Now, what's going to happen? An invitation is going to be given. And he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Now, friends, be careful here. Who's invited to the marriage supper? Well, of course, not the bride. No bride is ever invited to, to her own marriage, her own wedding. And I say, Now, Lord, tell me what this means. It means that there are millions of other believers from before the day of Pentecost back to Adam and Eve. And hundreds of thousands, if not millions more, you see, during the great tribulation, martyrs to the word of God under the two witnesses and under the Holy Spirit who will be killed and who are invited to come up to heaven, presumably, for phase one of the marriage supper. Now, in Jewish weddings, you have part one in the home of the bride. Now, that's where they are in heaven. You remember in, in, in John 14, I will prepare a place for you that's in heaven for the bride. And then all these wonderful invitations are sent forth. John the Baptist, remember, will be one of them. He's invited. He, he's looking forward to being there, too. Isn't that amazing? Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And John, the apostle, was just overwhelmed by this. And he, <laughs> he very humbly admits he made a terrible mistake here. He was so overwhelmed by the glory of the messenger that was sent to tell him about this, not absolutely sure whether this was Christ himself or a mere angel. He fell at his feet to worship him. And he, that's this angel, said to me, said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours. And your brethren, who hold this testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Well, he committed the same crime in chapter 22, verse 9. He's just overwhelmed by these revelations that come from heaven. And, and, and here's the big one, friends. After the wedding, phase one in heaven, I saw heaven opened, 1911. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war, discriminate war. He knows exactly who the enemy is, no war that I've ever heard about, or my father, who is a military strategist, ever heard about, was done in total righteousness, where only evil people are dealt with. That is amazing. You say, how can he, how can he wage a war like that? Does he know everything about everybody? Oh, yes. Listen to verse 12. He has eyes like a flame of fire. He can see in the war, in the dark. He can see everything about everybody. That is amazing. Eyes like a flame of fire. And upon his head are many diadems, crowns, and he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. You remember in Judges 13, the parents of Samson said, when, when all these wonderful things happen to our son, we want to come back and thank you. Uh, what is your name? He said, why do you ask my name? It is wonderful. And he vanished in the cloud of smoke and fire on that altar back to heaven. Isn't that amazing, friends? Just like Isaiah 9, 6 says, unto us a child is born, a son is given, his name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yes, Jesus said in Matthew 11, nobody knows me except the Father. 
Nobody knows the Father except I, and him to whom I may reveal him. There's something that is infinite, that is unknowable, about the nature, character, and glory of God by any creature, angel or man. No one knows except himself what his name really, really is. Verse 13, friends, he's clothed with a robe dipped in blood. That's not his blood this time, friends. It's the blood of his enemies, as we read in other passages like Revelation 14, 20. Yes, Isaiah 63, 3 anticipates this. Warrior coming back to earth at Armageddon, and the blood will flow for miles. People who fight him, hate him, will be destroyed at Armageddon. How can that happen? Because at the end of verse 13, his name is called the Word of God. You know what the Bible is? It's the Word of God that's living, powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, and there's nobody that's not naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He is the in, in, incarnate Word of God. Amazing. Marvelous. Well, here comes the church, friends, and if you're a born-again Christian today, this is a description of what you and I will be doing at the second coming of Christ, the destiny of the bride and body of Christ, the church. Verse 14, And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, remember, the church, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Never heard of an army like this if you were the only one who has a weapon as the general and he's in the front, not the rear. Millions and millions of Christians will follow him as he descends in infinite dignity gradually down toward planet Earth, toward the Holy Land, where he'll be confronted at Armageddon. And friends, the Bride of Christ, the Church, is following him in his glorious, spectacular return to planet Earth. What, what is he going to be like? Remember, he's the general. He's in the front. He, he's the only one that is going to inflict punishment upon the world. He's the only one that has a weapon. How can he know what he's doing? Revelation nineteen twelve. his eyes are a flame of fire. He can see in the dark. He can see every heart, every mind, every soul on this planet. He's totally, infinitely qualified to be the judge of judges, uh, king of kings, lord of lords. Lord of lords? Yes, on his head are many diadems, many of them crowns that he infinitely deserves to dignify him in the sight of all. But wait, what does this mean? He has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. Deity. You remember back in Judges 13, the parents of Samson said, When we come to honor you, we want to know your name. He said, Why do you ask my name since it's wonderful? It is wonderful. And so he is, friends, infinitely qualified. Now watch, he's qualified to be the king of kings. He's coming with his church following. And he's clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Not his blood this time, but the blood of his enemies as we read in Isaiah 63, verse 3. And his name is called the Word of God. The Word of God incarnate, just like we read in John 1, 1. And I say, Lord, I am totally illumined, enlightened, thrilled to see the qualities of my Lord and my Savior Jesus. Infinitely different program, Father, than the first coming, where he, he was humiliated and he was crucified. Look at him now. But who's following him? Verse 14, And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Remember that back there in verses 7 and 8. The bride had made herself ready for this, had clothed herself in fine linen, bright and clean, the righteous acts of the saints. 
identifying the true body and bride of Christ, the church. What are we going to be doing? Following him on white horses. And here comes his army, gradually descending from heaven. You can imagine what's going to happen when he arrives in the Holy Land with his church. He'll be welcomed by whom? The Antichrist, who will doubtless say, We know who you are, Jesus. We killed you the first time. We'll kill you again. Famous last words. What's going to happen? Verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, which, of course, symbolically refers to his word, so that with it, his word, he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron and tread them under the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. This refers, you remember, back to Psalm 2. He will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Who is this person again? And on his robe and his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You remember Philippians 2.10, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At last, the whole world will be forced to recognize who he is, willingly or unwillingly. He'll be known all over the world as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And friends, when we arrive on planet Earth in the infinite mercy of God, as at the second coming of Christ now, this is not the rapture, this is the second coming seven years later, remember, we will enter into an experience that is absolutely outstanding. Think of this. There'll be an inaugural banquet, which is, in a sense, part two, phase two of the wedding supper that began in heaven. Remember, in Jewish weddings, you start phase one in the home of the bride, and then a great procession, with the bridegroom and everyone following him, the friends of the bridegroom and the bride to his home where the, where the marriage is consummated. So here we are on his, in his home on the earth with his bride. Now, you say an inaugural banquet? Yes, 2,700 years ago, God told Isaiah of what's going to happen. Listen to Isaiah 25, 6. And the Lord of hosts will prepare a, langu- a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. That's, of course, Jerusalem area. Well, what do you mean, a banquet? Listen to this. Here's the menu. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. Sort of like when he changed the water to wine at Cana. A little foretaste, right? shall I say it that way, of the coming kingdom. On this mountain, he will swallow up the covering, which is over all the peoples, even the veil, which is stretched over all the nations, and he will swallow up death for all time. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. He will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Now, as we know, of course, the Lord Jesus amplified this in his final Passover time with the disciples. Listen to Luke twenty-two fifteen. He said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat it until it is fulfilled. Never again will I eat it till it is fulfilled when? In the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. Now listen carefully, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. Really? Well, listen to verse 28. We're in Luke 22 now, friends. Luke 22, 28. And you are those who have stood by me in my trials. 
And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Isn't that absolutely amazing, friends? Well, we say, Lord, we, we understand what you said and what you meant by what you said, but this is awesome. Uh, l- listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, here it is, here, here it is, friends, the banquet. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus, I ju- Jesus says, friends, I just can't wait until that inaugural banquet, which we understand is, is phase two of the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. And I say, now, Lord, I'm just amazed at what you're going to do with your people. As we turn back, dear friends, to Revelation uh, chapter 20, what, what's, what, is, what is the church going to do when we arrive back on the earth? Listen to this. Revelation 20, verse 4. I saw thrones. And they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. Thrones. We'll rule with him. Really? Look at verse 6 now. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. Now here it is. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and will reign with him for a thousand years. And I say, Lord... That is so absolutely spectacular. Ephesians 5.27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless, especially in that great day that's coming. Listen to Colossians 3.4. Does the world today know what's coming for the church? No. Well, when will they? Answer. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed. That's at the second coming now. Then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Think of that. In the light of that, Paul would say, can't you take care of your own affairs, your own family, your own home, your own church? Look what you are being programmed to do to rule the world. Thank you, God, for that perspective. And I, I, I take seriously what John said in his first epistle. 1 John 3, 2, When he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is, and this hope we have in him purifies ourselves, even as he is pure. So we've seen now, friends, in Revelation 19, the two-part wedding in heaven, and then down chapter 20 on the earth. It will have a marvelous function under Christ in this glorious kingdom that's coming. Now, there are problems in that kingdom, yes, because remember, everyone who enters it alive has a what? A sin nature That's why Israel has to have animal sacrifices, as Ezekiel explains in chapters 40 to 48. And we've explained this in our book, The Rapture and Beyond. The things that are coming will take into account the fact the millennium is not the eternal state. It's phase one, phase one, but a very different phase than what will follow in glory forever and ever in Revelation uh, chapters 21 and 22. So friends, lift up your hearts, lift up your eyes, see the light that's coming. Jesus is coming for his bride 
and will prepare us to come down with him in glory at the second coming to share with him, believe it or not, to share with him in the rulership of the world for a thousand years. May God's word give us courage and hope as the darkness around us is deepening everywhere today. Thank you for joining us today on Encounter God's Truth. We're in the middle of a series on Bible prophecy called Our Glorious Future in Christ. If you've missed any part of it, remember that you can always go back and listen to all of these messages at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. Now, Dr. Whitcomb, we've spent some time today in this great chapter, Revelation 19. The question I have to follow up on that is this. How can we who live now at the close of this church age become more like those who are described in this chapter? And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Does this passage shed more light on the judgment seat of Christ, which we've studied previously? Wayne, isn't this a fascinating point that the Spirit of God has made in the inspired scriptures Revelation 19:14 The church the body and bride of Christ the church if you're a born again Christian friend that's you will what happen what will happen to us we will come down at the second coming of Christ with him now listen carefully clothed in fine linen white and clean what's that mean well the earlier part of Revelation 19 explains this for us you remember let us rejoice and give glory to God for the marriage of the lamb has come And what's going to happen? The bride will have made herself ready. Made herself ready? Really? Yes. Verse 8. It was given to her to clothe herself in flying linen, bright and clean. what, What is this linen? Answer. It is the righteous acts of the saints. It symbolizes something. You see, at the end of the seven years of the Bema, the judgment throne of Christ, confrontation of Christ, the bridegroom, to to his bride, all the things she's ever done since salvation on this earth, motives, words, deeds, attitudes, reactions, and everything we brought to light, remember, that will determine something, won't it? And I say, Lord, that is amazing. And so we, we turn back, don't we, to Ephesians 5 for help on this. What can we do today to be ready to have that kind of fine linen? What can we do? Well, Paul said to that church at Ephesus, Do not get drunk with wine, Ephesians 5.18, for that is dissipation, but be what? Filled with the Spirit, helped, guided, controlled. And what does that mean? Well, here's a form of its expression, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart, not just with your lips, with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Those are garments that are being cleansed, prepared, white linen. Isn't it? Can you see it happening now? Now, now listen to what he said to husbands. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives. Now listen. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that she might be what? Now listen. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the what? With the word, the Bible. God's written revelation. Well, what's the purpose of this? Here it comes. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. What a destiny. What a goal. What a plan. What a purpose. 
I say, Lord, I don't understand all this means, but I get the basic idea. I have to begin each day, end each day, and throughout the day, think of you. Do what I do because of what you told me to do. Say what you told me to say. Think what you told me to think, that I might prepare myself, you see, to have fine linen and be ready for the glorious return of the bridegroom, my glorious Savior, to the earth to confront the enemy, remove the enemy, establish the kingdom, and to include me, Father, by your infinite mercy and grace in the rulership of the world for that thousand years that's coming. Thank you, Lord, for giving us some clues, some guidelines of how we can prepare ourselves by your Spirit, through your Word, to be clothed in white linen, bright and clean, on that great and glorious day that's coming soon. Well, amen. May all of us who are listening be so prepared for our Lord's any moment return. Thanks, Dr. Whitcomb, for those reminders, and may we go in that spirit today. Now, before we leave, I want to thank you for joining us here on Encounter God's Truth. It's our honor to have you listen to this program on this station each week. Please share today's broadcast by means of sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb, where you can hear hundreds of Dr. Whitcomb's messages anytime. For further information, you can also visit us at whitcombministries.org and facebook.com slash whitcombministries. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to join us next week for the conclusion of this short series on Bible prophecy as we'll think more about the infinite blessings that our Savior will allow us to experience in the coming kingdom and in eternity future. You don't want to miss those truths. And we hope that God is using these messages to remind you that His Word is true from the beginning to the end.